Welcome to the Song of Songs. This is a podcast based on the biblical book, The Song of Solomon, otherwise known as The Song of Songs. This is your host, John, and in today's episode, we're finally going to be able to approach this book from a different perspective. The first couple of episodes, we just kind of did an introduction. We did a, a defense of the book and different interpretations that people have of the book and who the characters were and who they represent. And if you're interested in all of that, again, you can go back and listen to all of that. Then in the second episode, we covered the first verse of scripture in Song of Solomon, verse number one of chapter number one, and that's really the book's introduction for itself. Then verses two through verse number seven is where we've been up until this point, and they've, they're they all uh, spoken from the perspective of the bride. So today we're going to dive into verse number eight, and we're going to try to get down to verse number 11, but all of these things that we're going to be looking at today, these are all spoken from the perspective of the bridegroom of the of the husband of the king and so again in the way that we are interpreting and looking at this passage of scripture we are seeing uh, solomon as typifying christ and the bride who i believe was pharaoh's daughter for reasons that we shared in a couple of episodes ago as well as what we're going to look at today um i believe pharaoh's daughter was the woman that is being referenced to here Nonetheless, uh, Solomon, again, typifies Christ, and the bride typifies the church in general, the Christian in particular. And so, verse number 8 is actually a response to verse number 7, so in order to really get into the text today, we we kind of have to do a little bit of a, a back step and, and recover some ground that we looked at last week. And so, in verse number Five through verse number seven are spoken from the perspective of the bride, and she's speaking about herself. Verses two through four, she is speaking about the one that she loves. So verses five and verse number six specifically, she's speaking about herself. And then verse number seven, she again turns her focus towards the one that she loves and begins speaking to him again. At no point does she stop speaking to the one that she loves. She's describing herself in verses 5 and 6 as one that has been an outcast, one that has been oppressed, one that's an outsider. Uh, she talks about being as the, the tents of Kedar, uh, and Kedar was a, a tribe out of Ishmael. Uh, so she's admitting and acknowledging the fact that you know she's, she's not an Israelite, she's not a part of that particular covenant, but she's been brought in. Uh, again, uh, she she describes her skin color as being black, and uh, even though you know Israel uh, is definitely Middle East, it's it's not you know Middle Easterns that you can't really call their skin color black. And so she's talking about you know where she's from and the kind of life that she's lived. She says that the sons looked upon me. She talks about how that her brothers and sisters had oppressed her and uh, made her to work in their vineyards at the expense of her own vineyard going basically to waste. And so she's talking about all the different uh, oppositions that she's had and all the different uh, struggles that she's experienced and faced. So in verse number seven, she says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest and where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turneth aside by thy by the companions of thy flock by the flocks of thy companions? I'll get it out right eventually. So she says in verse number seven, she says, you know, I've been oppressed and I've I, I want to I want rest. And she so she's coming to Solomon and saying, I want the same kind of rest that you give to your sheep. So show me where where I need to go. Show me how I need to go about 
getting and obtaining this rest that I know you can give me. So in verse number 8, we see the response that the king, that Solomon has for this particular question. Verse number 8, the king says, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of of the flock, and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. Then verse number 9, which is really... It's not a different section, but in the context of this particular episode, if we wanted to break apart uh, the text that we're looking at, verse number 8 would be in its own kind of subcategory. Verse number 9 would be in its own kind of subcategory, and verses 10 and 11 would be joined together with each other. So, verse number 9, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy thy neck with chains of gold. We will make the borders of gold with studs of silver. And so there's a few different elements that go into these verses, and we want to try to barely get into some of these themes, uh, just enough to maybe uh, give you a little bit of a desire to study this book for yourself and pray through it as well, or enough desire to keep listening to the podcast to the next episode that we upload next week. Anyway, verse number eight, um, we're going to skip one phrase in here because it really we'll kind of cover that in in, in verse number 9 when we look at that but verse number 8 she he says if thou know not o thou fairest among women so we're going to for now just kind of overlook the o thou fairest among women because in verse number 9 he's talking about how he views and compares uh, the bride and how you know he esteems her so I, i'll come back to o thou fairest among women here in just a moment If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock, and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. So, there's some folks who believe that verse number 7 is the introduction of a third character of a shepherd boy, and I have at length um, explained why I don't believe that. I believe that in verse number 7, she's speaking to the same person that she was speaking to from verses 2 through verse number 6, okay? And uh, she never changes the object of her desire. The object of her affection is Solomon. And so it's Solomon that that responds in verse number 8. So Solomon is king, obviously. Uh, he is not a full-time shepherd. Um, but in verse number 7, we see uh, the bride is asking to be led to the place where the king's sheep are fed and where they have rest. So in verse number 8, we find that the king, obviously, again, is not a full-time shepherd. He has shepherds and he has people under his employ who take care of his sheep. So they're still Solomon's sheep. And he is still the one providing for them, and he's still the one taking care of them, but he's taking care of them through his shepherds. That's important in the context of this being Christ and the church. Um, but anyway, if thou know not, so the first thing we need to understand is the principle that's given to us in, in James chapter number 1, that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth them not. Sometimes we're afraid, and and it should be ashamed we should be ashamed to even admit this uh, but we're afraid to go to god sometimes and say lord here's what i need i need rest i need help i need wisdom i need strength i need i need grace to be able to forgive there are things that i need that i cannot provide for myself and that's essentially what she's saying in verse number 7 she's saying i need rest and i need you to feed me there's things that you can provide that i cannot get for myself 
And so the very first thing that Solomon does in response to this is not just, you know, beat her up over the head and say, well, I, I told you back, you know, some months and some weeks ago, you know, this is what you ought to be doing. This is where you ought to be going and all this. There are things that he tells us, but it's amazing to me the, the tenderness and the loving kindness that Jesus Christ, that, that he can be entreated of, you know. There's a scripture that talks about in, in Ezekiel about you know God turning the the heart of stone into the heart of flesh right and, and and he says yet will I be inquired of this by the house of Israel he says I want you to ask me for it so when we go to the Lord and when we ask for these things that we need or we ask for wisdom because we just don't understand uh, then. God's response to that is not to immediately upbraid us or to reprove us or to, you know, uh, knock us over the head uh, for admitting the fact that we need something from him. He wants us to come to him. And so the simple fact that he, he says, if you don't know, I'll tell you, that should speak to us as Christians. That should speak to us as, as humans, as, as people in general. Maybe you haven't entered into a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're scared to approach the Lord. You don't have to be scared to approach Him. He is easy to be entreated of. You can approach Him, and you can ask Him for whatever you need, and and our perspective of what we need may be, you know, uh, misappropriated. You know, we may look at something and say, well, Lord, I need you to heal me of this physical ailment or this physical illness, where God's desire is not necessarily to heal us of that physical ailment or illness, but is to teach us something of spiritual and eternal significance through that physical ailment or illness. So sometimes we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, here's what I need, but that's not really what we need. God knows what we need and he'll teach us what we need if we will just go to him. And so we find she's not reproved, she's not upbraided for coming to him. And he says, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, Go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. So he says, go find my sheep. They're, they're not difficult to find. They're not difficult to track down. In the context of this being Christ in the church, if you, individual, soul, who are weary and needing rest, where's one place that you can go? Where well, you can go where the flock is. You can go to church. Basically, that's what the text is saying in that in this interpretation in this in this picture, this type that we see. He's saying, you know, if you want to find rest, you find my sheep and join yourself to them. If you want to be fed, what is it that uh, that Jesus Christ said to Simon Peter on the Sea of Galilee there on the shores of the Galilee? He says, if you love me, he says, lovest thou me? Simon says, you know that I love you. And uh, he says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And so if you want to be fed, go where the sheep are. You've, that's that's an important thing for us to keep in mind. So he says, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. And the shepherds obviously picture uh, those that the Lord has employed, the Lord, have call, Lord has called to oversee and to protect and to feed and to nurture and to care for the sheep in general the overseers of of our souls of course we know that jesus christ is the overseer of our soul um but he talks about in the book of hebrews about those that have uh, authority that that rule over us and to to honor those that that have the authority over us because they're watching over our souls and so again the picture is very plain very clear if you want rest and if you want 
to be fed, go where the sheep are. Find a shepherd. Join yourself to them. Not necessarily joining yourself to them in the sense of, you know, worshiping them uh, and substituting them for the Lord Jesus Christ. I know some folks who have uh, a unhealthy um, adoration for a man. They think that their pastor can do no wrong. Your pastor can do wrong. Guarantee you, your pastor can do wrong. Only Jesus Christ can only do right. But he has given to us shepherds and overseers to help us. So we can't complain about not having rest and about not being fed if we refuse to join ourselves to the sheep and to listen to the shepherds. So, pretty plain interpretation of verse number 8. Verse number 9, and we'll go back to that element of verse number 8 as well. In verse 8, he said, he calls her, Thou fairest among women. Verse number 9, he says, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. So the first thing I want to notice, I don't want to get into the whole horse thing right now. Um, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Um, but the way that he... Uh, endears himself to her and speaks about her. O thou fairest among women. O my love. That's what he calls her. And that should be amazing to us if we have any shred of self-awareness about us at all. To know that we who were dead in trespasses and sins, who were terribly marred and disfigured by our own willful rejection of the gospel and of the commandment of God and of the person of God and of the knowledge of God. We who have been, by the Holy Spirit of God, we have been reproved, taught of our sin, of righteousness and of judgment. The Lord has done a work in our heart to bring us to a place where we can say, Lord, I, 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 I need you, I, I desire you, I want you. He draws us, and then at the same time, we have to draw ourselves closer to him. Of course, we know that no man can come to the Father except he's been drawn, but none that come to him will, you know, all that come to him will in no wise be cast out. Um, we, we see all of these different elements throughout Scripture. We understand, though, that you know, there's salvation is a supernatural thing. And, and when the Holy Spirit of God really does that work in our life and brings us to a place of salvation, we have to recognize the fact that, that who we were and who we are are not, are not the same thing. And who we are right now positionally and, and who we are practically, those are two different things. Positionally, I am in Christ. I am righteous. I am sanctified. I am justified. I am seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But but practically, I'm struggling. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I, I've got issues. I've I've got besetting sins that I have to continually seek to crucify and, and ask the Lord's help for all of those things. And so there are days where, you know, if the Lord were to to just whisper in my ear, so to speak, I understand. You know, he's he's not speaking to us audibly. He's speaking to us through his word. But reading this and acknowledging the fact that that I am the bride of Christ, I am part of the bride of Christ. To hear him call me the fairest among women and uh, the and the object of his love and desire and affection. Oh my love, 
that that just is unreal it is supernatural it is uneffable i i can't i can't i can't gather my mind around it i can't describe it i can't explain it behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of god that's pretty pretty amazing but in verse number 9 there's there's a picture that is given that again if if we look at this and if we consider that this might be Pharaoh's daughter that he's speaking about it would make a lot of sense so in verse number 9 I have compared thee O my love to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots so I've compared thee to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots now horses are majestic creatures I don't know if you don't like horses. My wife is terrified of them. But they have a sense of majesty or or dignity about them. I don't know if that's a good way of putting it, but it's the way I'm going to put it. Um, I like horses, and I'm I'm enthralled by them. They're they're powerful. They're beautiful. uh, They're graceful in the way that they move. So it's it's not necessarily a huge um, question mark, verse number 9, for me. Because I, I see I see the picture. And of course, if you go through and you read Song of Solomon, there's a lot of this kind of language that's in there. You know, your hair is like the, you know, like mountain goats and all of that stuff. And there's a lot of, of pictures that are drawn from nature and from God's creatures. And so he says, I've compared thee to a, a, a company of, of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. So I don't really put a question mark on verse number nine like I guess some people might, um, they, they might not view it as such a great compliment, but I, I have a respect for horses. Um, also, going through scripture, there's a lot of, of emphasis put on horses. In fact, at one point, I believe God even told and instructed his people, Israel said, don't, don't put your faith in horses. Don't put your faith in chariots. They were, they were not supposed to have horses. Uh, and yet Solomon obviously did because he had everything that he could have. He, he was the wealthiest man who who ever lived. And so um, he, he is saying here in verse number 9, he says, I've compared thee to a company of horses and Pharaoh's chariots. Horses were, uh, even then, they were expensive. Um, you didn't just have them recreationally. Uh, they were either for work, but even for work, you would probably use a donkey or a mule or something like that. Um, or they were for war, and and that was that was one of the the biggest things that we see throughout Scripture uh, that horses are related to battle and uh, their strength. And if you had horses, you you were likely going to win win the battle, especially if your your enemy did not have horses. And so in verse number nine, he says, "I've compared thee to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots." This is important because there's kind of a threefold stage of this compliment. So it's not just saying, hey, you're majestic like horses. It's saying you're like a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots, which give us two things. Not just horses, but Egyptian horses. Which, if you go and you, you read behind some folks and you read some history about this, uh, there's some some disagreement about where horses originally came from. 
I think the the main accepted answer today is they came from kind of China, Asia, that 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 area. Uh, there's also a case being that is made for horses originating from Egypt. At any rate, um, the Egyptian horses were the best, the best around, and so Solomon's saying, "I've compared thee to a company of horses." in Pharaoh's chariots is not just saying, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're majestic like, you know, any horse out there, but you're like an Egyptian horse. And even better than that, you're like a horse that's in Pharaoh's chariots, that is in Pharaoh's stables. So of the most majestic creatures, you're of the most majestic kind. And of the most majestic kind, you're of the most majestic specific animal specimen. And so he he is really telling her, you know, you you are beautiful, you are strong, you are, you know, you're majestic, all of these different things. I don't want to just run that word into the ground, but it's one of the few words that I can use to describe a horse. So he's he's saying to her, you know, I'm putting great value and worth upon you. And that's important for us to understand and for us to see, especially in the context of Christ being uh, the Solomon type and the church being the object of his affection that he ascribes a lot of value and worth upon us not because of any intrinsic value in us necessarily what intrinsic value we had is God God's creation and being made in the image of God we certainly lost or diminished that value at least uh, in in our sin the value that we have is because of the blood of Jesus Christ that is what is worthwhile about us is the fact that when God sees us, he sees the blood of Christ and sees the righteousness of God in Christ. So, uh, he is lavishing upon us and upon the bride here in specific context of Song of Solomon and, and telling, telling her and telling us exactly what she means to him. Exactly what kind of value is placed upon him. And we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold or the vain tradition of our fathers, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we have the highest value put upon us because of what he paid for us. So, verses 10 and 11 begin a third subsection, I guess we might say, of this particular text that we're looking at today. So, verse number 10, he says... Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. And it was customary in this time, in this day, back then, um, for the bride to adorn herself for her husband, especially in the context of a marriage festival or a marriage ceremony. We do the same thing. The bride will oftentimes wear a veil and wear a headdress and things like that. Well, this is speaking about the same thing. This is speaking about a headdress that the bride would have made to honor the one that she was marrying, to honor the one that she loved. And so look at it again in the context of that, with the understanding of that. Thy cheeks, uh, thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels. So going down her cheeks upon this headdress, there are rows of jewels that are going down her cheeks. 
okay? And thy neck with chains of gold. And that's that's simple enough for us to imagine. It's like necklaces uh, wrapping around her neck, thy neck with chains of gold. So this is the way that the bride adorns herself for the one that she loves. She puts on this fancy headdress with rows of jewels upon it. She puts on this necklace. This is important for us because... It is true that when we enter into this relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I cannot say that enough, that the only way for us to have a relationship with God is through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And His Son is God incarnate. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God. But He's the only way to a relationship with God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. So if we have entered into a relationship with the, with, Jesus, with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, then it, it, it would be right, customary, expected, and required of us to adorn ourselves with, with the fruit of the Spirit, to adorn ourselves with spiritual disciplines, disciplines such as prayer and fasting and reading the scriptures and attending church and, and doing all of these different things and, and trying to keep our heart you know, chaste and, and humble before the Lord and, and all of these things that we're commanded to do. Okay, So when we do those things and when we humble ourselves before the Lord and when we maintain the right spirit and the right attitude and the right heart and we seek the Lord first in all things that we do, then that is like us putting on this headdress and adorning ourselves in honor of the one that we love. And, and that is important. But what is amazing about this is verse number 11. So verse 10, she's adorning herself. He's, he's talking about her as she is before him. So he says, uh, Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy, necks, thy neck with chains of gold. But in verse number 11, he says, We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. And again, and I guess there, there, there might be some logical explanation or rational explanation for this, this change in uh, I... Verse number 9, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses and Pharaoh's chariots. To verse number 11, we, plural, we will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. There's uh, there's other things like that in verse number uh, 4, draw me, me, individually, specifically, we, collectively, together, will run after thee. We being the church, draw me speaking about the individual Christian. Well, in this, we're talking in the in the relationship, uh, or in the perspective, rather, of of the bridegroom, of Solomon. So, I have compared thee, O my love, I being Solomon, obviously. Verse number 11, we. Who is the we? The we, from Solomon's perspective, would probably be him and his, uh, if I can pronounce the word right, the artificer. The person who actually you know fashions and makes things out of gold and silver and whatnot, uh, in the context of the spiritual uh, application of this particular passage, we might just be the same uh, we that's in Genesis chapter number one, or the same us rather in Genesis one that God said, "Let us make man in our own image." Who is that? That is God Himself. That is the the Trinity communing with itself. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit being in agreement about something. So, verse number eleven. If you keep that in mind, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a hundred percent what this is or what this means, but I am noting the fact that verse number eleven. There's plural, whereas in verse number nine it's singular. Verse number eleven. We will make the borders of gold with studs of silver. I like to think, and again, you can take my word for it, you cannot, I'm some guy on the internet, right? 
But I'm some guy with a Bible, and I'm trying to uh, reverently ask the Lord to teach us something. But in the context of what is actually being said in verse number 11, what is actually being done? Verse number 11 says, you know, again, we will make the borders of gold with studs of silver. What's that talking about? Borders of gold. You think of a border as something that goes around something, if you can imagine it, and I think you can. Uh, borders might just picture, reference a crown. Borders of gold with studs of silver. So a gold crown with silver studs, silver uh, adornments, silver embellishments, uh, that being made for the bride. So if you think about this, being in the context of Christ in the church, we will make the borders of gold with studs of silver. We're going to crown you with this crown that we've made for you. To think the we might just be God is in unison about this. He is he is in complete agreement with himself. Of course, everything he does is in complete agreement with himself because he's perfect and in unity with himself at all time. Uh, our God is one. But at the same time, it, it should help us and encourage us and comfort us to know that if we are in Christ and if we are in God in a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, that God collectively, together, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all in agreement about the fact that you, being a child of God, are joint heirs with Christ and therefore receive a crown of righteousness. Period. Um, my mind, when I read this, my mind goes to Zechariah chapter number 3, which is one of the clearest pictures of the atonement of the, the gospel in the Old Testament. Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord, Satan standing at his right hand to resist him, and there's this whole back and forth and discourse, but at one point Ezekiel is just, or not Ezekiel, Zechariah is just an outs, a, a bystander, he's just observing, but at one point he gets involved and he says, you know, let them set a fair mitre upon his head, and a mitre is a crown, and so they set a fair mitre, a fair crown upon his head. And the, the simple fact that I, I should be crowned with a crown of thorns, but yet he crowns me with borders of gold and studs of silver. I don't get what I deserve. <laughs> I get what Christ deserves. And that should challenge me. That should challenge me to be a better Christian, a, a better husband, a better preacher, a better employee, employer, father, son, daughter, whatever the whatever the thing is, the role that you feel is, it should challenge you to be better. And of course, again, we can't be better on our own. We have to have him. He has to strengthen us. He has to enable us. But if we are in Christ, he gives us the tools, the resources to have everything that we need. If you don't know where to go, again, revert you back to verse number 8. If thou know not, if you don't know where to get fed, if you don't know where to find rest, if you don't know where to find what you need, here's what you need to do. You need to go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. Find the flock and get along with them. Join yourself to them. And feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. If you don't know where to go, go back to the Bible. Go back to church. Go back to these places that we know, square one, here, here is a place where we can meet the Lord. And if we will meet him there, 
And if we will ask him for help, he will give us that help. He will strengthen us. And if we ask him for the strength, the wisdom, the help, the discipline, uh, the whatever we need to adorn ourselves better for the Lord Jesus Christ, then he'll give us what we need. He'll help us. It's in his best interest that he help us, that we look more like the person of Jesus Christ and that we adorn ourselves for him and for his pleasure. We'll continue on next week in verse number 12 and, and go down uh, maybe to the end of the chapter. We're trying to cover a little bit more ground. Um, I obviously have not covered everything that I could cover in this passage of scripture for tonight, or for this week rather, um, but... Uh, I think that's about as far as I'm going to go with this particular episode. Again, if if you're interested, there are there are resources out there. George Burroughs is is the commentary that I found the most helpful when I was reading through this. Um, but most importantly, above commentaries and whatnot, just open the Bible and get on your knees and go before the Lord and just say, Lord, help me. Lord, teach me something, and He'll open your eyes. And you don't have to get everything. You don't have to understand everything. Just understand something. Just come away from that session you know, knowing something more, uh, being able to apply some spiritual truth better than when you, when you went in. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's the way it is, growing in the Lord. You're not going to pick up a, a book of the Bible so neglected as the Song of Solomon and immediately get it all. I still don't get it all. I'm still learning things, and this is about the third or fourth time that I've gone through this book in the last year and a half. So just get in there and just ask the Lord to help you and, and ask Him to strengthen you and ask Him to help you to adorn yourself better for the one that you love, to find that rest that you need, to find that companionship with Him that you need. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. May continually be teaching us something in his word and until next week may god bless you and keep you in his word